Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. Well, it's great to be together this morning, and if you're, uh, if you're ready, you can grab your sermon outline in your bulletin there and open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we will start our teaching time in just a couple of minutes. Hebrews 11, you'll find that on page 1874. And like we say most every week, this is a good time just to pray, whisper a prayer. Now, Lord, speak to me, speak to those sitting around me, speak to our church, reveal yourself to us, draw us close to you, give us perspective, Lord, those kinds of things. That'd be great. Well, today we come to a very important topic dealing with service, and we're coming down the home stretch. We finish this series next week. And we've considered the right motivation for service, and believe it or not, a big part of having the right motivation is recognizing and actually embracing that the Bible encourages us to see rewards as a motivation for serving. I mean, who hasn't heard or read or been inspired by the parable that Jesus gave his disciples and to each one of us in his word of the talents and the great commendation that the master of those servants were given when they stood before him, when he said, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful in a few things, I will put you in charge of many things, come and share in your master's happiness, that's Matthew 25. We've all been inspired by that, this is the way we want to end this life's journey, by standing before God, and in that parable, it's a picture of the righteous being rewarded and the wicked being punished. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a reminder to us that in God's mind that there is something to be said about being motivated in our service, at least in part by rewards, that rewards are coming. Now, for some of us, we feel a little self-centered that we would think about rewards this way. Uh, In fact, some of us might say, hey, a rewards program is good for credit cards and the businesses that produce those amazing commercials, but not when it comes to serving God. It just seems a little self-serving, and I know what you feel like. I, I, I feel that way perhaps a little bit myself, but the more I read Scripture, the more I'm convinced that God wants us to see that rewards for service is something that God wants to incentivize us with how we live our lives down here. I want us to see today that God not only wants us to embrace but pursue a life of service that results in rewards for honorably serving our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that in Scripture this morning in a number of ways. Here's the upshot of where we're going. I want to teach us this morning that believing the promise of rewards serves God's purpose in at least five ways. Now, this may not be an exhausted list or an exhaustive list, but I think it'll help us get our arms and and minds and hearts around this idea of the promise of rewards. So here, if you're taking notes, the first thing is that the promise of rewards is a reminder that God is gracious and generous. Say those two words with me, gracious and generous. This is our God. Now, Hebrews 11.6, here's the word. The Bible says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, if you're going to come to God, you've got to first believe that he is. That's a life of faith. I mean, positionally or, you know, theologically, most of us in this room would say, I believe that God is. But then we're going to leave here in a little while and we're going to live as if he doesn't. 
We're going to live not by faith. We're going to live in our own strength. We're going to try to do it our own way. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that faith is what pleases God. And if you come to God in faith, you've got to believe that He exists. You've got to live every moment of your day that there's a God who loves you, cares for you, and has a plan for your life. And watch this. And that He rewards those who earnestly seek him. You've got to believe that God sees everything that happens in your life and that that is going to matter in the long run of things. Now, the subject of rewards, both temporary and eternal, tell us something about God. It tells us, among other things, that God, the God we serve is both gracious and generous. Now, we'll dig into this statement a little more in a minute, but before we do that, let me walk us through some Old Testament passages and then some New Testament passages that talk about reward, okay? So you could just jot these down. I think they're in your notes, but just let's read them out loud together. Let's let our hearts hear our own voices say these words. The first one is Psalm 1911. You remember in that psalm, it's talking about the benefits of the Word of God and those who find the Word of God as their treasure. The psalmist declares, here we go, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So by Reading, studying, understanding God's word, uh, our, our lives are warned, and in, in keeping these words, there is reward. Uh, Psalm 62, 12. Let's do that one. Here it goes. Two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Now that's amazing. And this is all through, I've just chosen a few that kind of nail down the point that in the Old Testament, there's this picture of God being gracious and generous in seeing what we do with our lives and rewarding accordingly. Uh, God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 17.10. Ready? Here we go. I, the Lord, search the hearts and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Let's go over to Jeremiah 32.19. Great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to all the ways of men. You reward everyone according to his conduct and as his deeds deserve. Now the one thing you'll discover if you do a, an exhaustive study of rewards in the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures seem to reveal that the focus of reward is in this life. It's in what happens down here. That God sees our lives and he, he recognizes things and he brings reward. And, and that's a beautiful picture of the importance of living our lives for God right here, right now. This is the Old Testament's focus, is how our lives have an effect in terms of the, the things that we do, how God sees that and brings reward into our life. In the New Testament, it changes slightly in that the temporary rewards are replaced more with the eternal rewards. And the New Testament gets our eyes focused on the life to come. And in the, in the Gospels particularly, just give a couple references of, of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 27. Let's read that out loud together. Here we go. With a little gusto. You felt a little weak on those last ones. Let me just tell you that. Here we go. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. You see that? There's reward there. That day is coming. Let's do Matthew 5.12. Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way as they persecuted the prophets that were before you. And Jesus was talking about, hey, rejoice when life isn't going well on the account of me. If you're living for me and life isn't going well, then just take courage because your reward is in heaven. 
So, Old Testament focuses more on the temporary reward. New Testament seems to draw our eyes up onto the eternal rewards. But let's go back to the point for a minute. The promise of rewards is a picture or reminder that the God we serve is gracious and generous. When I say he's gracious, what I mean by that, and what the scriptures mean by that, is that he isn't obligated to give us any reward. Do you get that? I mean, God's grace means that he gives us stuff that we don't deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. Now, mercy, on the other hand, is that he, he withholds things that we do deserve. Are you following that? So we serve a God that is gracious and merciful. He gives us what we don't deserve, and he holds back things that we do deserve. This is the God that we serve. And what I mean by he holds back, he holds back judgment. He, he stays his wrath. He gives us blessing instead of curses. This is a beautiful thing for those that are in Christ. And let's just take a look at a little bit of what Jesus had to say about that. In, in Luke 17, 10, when Jesus talked to his disciples, he said, But so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done our duty. Jesus reminds his disciples that really in the end of the day, anything that comes from God is a gracious move on the part of God because he doesn't owe us a thing. And it's good for us to remember that. that This is the God we serve. This is his character. He doesn't owe us. We don't deserve good things, but God brings us good things nonetheless. In fact, even when we talk about the people in our lives that give us trouble and enemies. And Jesus, listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6.35. He said, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because, because God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. We don't deserve anything good from God and yet he gives it to us. Yesterday, the last couple days, I was on a motorcycle ride with a couple of buddies, and we went down to Big Sur, and we just had an amazing time, got up in God's country. It was just, oh, it was so gorgeous and beautiful. And the thing about a motorcycle ride, I'm just going to tell you, I see some guys that are out there riding bikes and and gals too, and, and, and the thing about it is, it's nice to be together when you stop and you have fun, you talk, and you, we camped out a couple nights, but there's a lot of alone time too. And this is one of the reasons why I like riding my motorcycle. And from Cambria, down below Big Sur, all the way over to this place called the Carrizo Plain, which was like a thousand miles, it felt like, way out in the middle of the middle of nowhere, I just one of the things that came to my mind, just prayer and, and thinking through a lot of things over the weekend with the Lord as I'm riding along, from Cambria on the coast all the way to the inner inland near Bakersfield was about a seven hour God just leading me through all the gracious things he's done in my life I said God I just want to give you praise for everything so I just started listening and I'm just starting Cambria all the way across with little tiny stops here and there but this long crescendo of God this is all that you've done in my life going back from my childhood all the way up and that I'm just telling you that was a beautiful exercise for me because at the end of it the Lord reminded me and you deserved none of it God gives it all God is gracious aren't you glad the promise of rewards is a reminder that God is gracious we don't get what we deserve and he gives us more than we deserve 
He's generous also, which means that what he gives us, he gives abundantly. He gives so much more than we could possibly imagine. And I love, remember the parable of the landowner who represents God in this parable? The landowner paid out his servants and some servants that started early in the day worked to the end of the day for what they were told they would be paid. And then there were people that jumped on at the last minute, one hour to go. Yeah, come work for me. And they work and they get paid the exact same thing. And the people that have worked all day long said to the landowner in the parable, how come you did that? You cheated us. And he said, This is the response, and this is a picture of the beautiful picture of God's gracious, generous heart. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? Jesus continues, so the last will be first and the first will be last. It's a spiritual principle that God is a gracious, generous God, and if you got on at the last minute, I think about people in the last days of their life give their lives to Jesus. I think about that thief on the cross. And some of us might think, well, that's not fair. They didn't live, you know, a sacrificial life. And they didn't serve. And they didn't do all this. And, and they, boom, they give their lives to Jesus. And they get all the grace of God. And they get an eternity with heaven. And that just doesn't seem fair. And sometimes we feel like, you know, we're getting cheated out. And God says, are you kidding me? You had all of your life, if you gave your heart to Christ as a child, you had all the richness and the blessings and the things that God did in your life, all that time in your life, you should be overjoyed with blessing and graciousness to God. God just does this amazing, amazing work. But we, we tend to get a little miserly and we look around and compare ourselves with everybody else and we forget that one of the things that the promise of reward does is that it teaches us something about God, that he is generous and gracious. Here's a second thing. The promise of rewards provides a godly incentive for honest and sacrificial service. Say incentive. A godly incentive. Let's dig a little bit more now into the heart of the matter as we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. If you're using that book rack Bible, page 1799. Love hearing those pages turning. Let's go over there. Now, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul makes this amazing and sobering statement, okay? He says, we'll put it on the screen too, so in case you're not there yet, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ here, according to Paul, this Greek word for judgment seat is the word bema. And the word bema, this judgment seat, was the place that, that athletes were given rewards at the end of the competition. This was the bema seat. Athletes would come up, they'd be adorned with a wreath or, or whatever the award was. And Paul says that we must all stand before the bema seat of Christ, that we would receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, for some of us, we read that and we go, ooh, that doesn't sound so good. I don't know if I, I, I mean, I'm excited about being, you know, rewarded for the good, but I don't want to be punished for the bad. It's interesting because when Paul uses the words good and bad here in the text, most English translations don't point out the fact that the word bad here is not the Greek word that describes moral evil or wickedness. It's the word that describes worthlessness, emptiness. So when Paul says we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to be judged, we're going to be judged for the things that worked well, that produced, 
and for the things that we just squandered away, things that were worthless. So that helps us to see a little bit of what's going on here. God wants to reward us for whatever we did that was good at the judgment, at the Bema seat of Christ, but there's no reward given for what was done that was useless or simply a waste of time. Ask yourself the question right now, how many things am I involved in that frankly are a waste of time? We can give ourselves to a lot of things that are really just a waste of time. Over in Romans, and we'll put this on the screen, Romans 14, 12, I want us to read it together. Paul's basically saying the same thing, but he adds a sobering clause. Let's read this together. He says, so then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We are also going to give an account. We're going to actually, it sounds like we're going to kind of give an explanation for the way we invested ourselves in this life. Wow. We're going to give an account. I remember when my parents would leave when I was an adult, you know, 17, 18 years of age, they would go off on these trips around the world. They like to travel and they would put me in charge because I was the only one home at the time. (laughs) They figured, okay, it's safe. (laughs) Let him be in charge of nobody. Okay, so I was in charge. But you know, when I got back, when they got back, I had to give an account. I had to give an account for why the car was smashed up one time. I had to give an account for why there was stuff on the carpet when we really don't, you know, eat in the carpet area of the house. I mean, just little silly things that my family were a part of, rules that we had growing up. I had to give an account. And I would always know that that day was coming when they would come back. Now, Paul elaborates a little bit more. Let's just focus in a little bit more on this scene that we're talking about, this Bema seat, where we give an account to God, where the good things in our lives are rewarded and the worthless things are not rewarded. It's a judgment of reward, not a judgment of punishment. So Paul goes a little further into this theme. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, go back there. If you're in 2 Corinthians, it'll be real easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And to the same church, the church at Corinth, he talks about this same day. He says in verse 13, chapter 3, he says, His work, speaking of the people that stand at the Bema seat of Christ, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's the Bema seat, the day will bring it to light. Now he's given us a little more detail about what's going to happen. Things that are good and things that we do that are worthless, God It seems that God is saying to us that the good things in that day will withstand, in this context, 1 Corinthians 3, a fire of testing. Because the things that last are made of goods, uh, gold, silver, and costly stones. In the context, you can see it right there. But the bad things, the worthless things, the useless things will be burned up because they are like wood, hay, and straw. It's really important to see that what's being tested here is not our salvation. Are you listening? Say amen if you're listening. We're not being tested or judged for our salvation. We're being judged as believers for the quality of our work. That's the judgment. So, Paul says, if what he has built survives, this is verse 13, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through flames. I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of people at the Bema Seat of Judgment that are going to smell a little smoky. They're, 
they're in, salvation, no problem, but no reward. And this, this is a, an incentive that God wants us to see. Now, I don't know how that works ultimately because God tells us that heaven, I mean, you know, heaven, that's, praise God, Jesus is the reward, heaven. And so it's, I'm not suggesting that we ought to just be thinking, you know, I want a bunch of trinkets to be given to me at that point. But that there's a sense in which God is telling us that we need to be careful to not propel our lives forward without, with, with a casual or uncaring look at the day that we stand at the judgment and are judged for the quality of our work. I sat with a man this past week. He used to be in our church, he and his wife. I don't know, about 10 years ago or so, uh, they had retired and they'd moved up to um, North Dakota. They live in Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, yeah, the beautiful place to retire. And so they went there. And, and over the years, I've been in touch with Dave because Dave, you know, he sat there in Fargo. Actually, it was Bismarck first, but anyway, they ended up in, in uh, Fargo. And, and he said to himself, you know, I was a CEO of a big company. I managed hundreds of people. I did all of the accolades and had all the things that people my age at retirement strove for their whole life. And he said, really? Is that really what it was about? And the Lord began to speak to him about the quality of his work. I mean, and during the time, I know he was a solid Christian believer. He, he was following Jesus, but it maybe didn't strike him as much while he was being the CEO of that company that even that could be a wonderful demonstration of the quality of work and giving to the Lord and serving people. But whatever the case, God kind of woke him up that in his retirement years, all of the things he had done so far in his life were really basically worthless in a kingdom perspective. And so he just started opening his home, inviting people to come. He Tagged along with a little local church in the area just to, as a Bible study. And God just put it on his heart to be invested with people. And, and that grew more and more. And pretty soon he was, he was feeling like people were kind of hungry for spiritual truth. People bringing other people. And, and so he's like nervous. He never taught a Bible study. And so he started asking us, could we use sermon videos from our church and then use our outlines and teach it? We said, absolutely. So he started doing that for a long time. And people were coming and they're enjoying it. And so they're, a little piece of our ministry is over there in North Dakota. And, and God's working there. And he's gone through a, a, several different changes with what's going on. But right now there's a group of about, I don't know, 30 people consistently meeting in his home as an alternative, not an alternative to the local church. He's believing in the local church. But there's just in the locale that they're in, there's just not a whole lot of spiritual vitality in the churches in their area and so he's just excited and he's connected and he's accountable with a local church pastor but the point I'm trying to make is he's realizing that he wants to live more for that day someone has said there's two days most important days on anybody's calendar are you ready for this this might change your life the two most important days on anybody's calendar is this day and that day Because what you do today has an impact on that day. And that's what God wants us to see. The promise of reward is an incentive. You know, my wife and I, we went over to San Francisco. We'd never been to the Disney Museum. Anybody been to the Disney Museum over there? Well, it, I want to encourage It was a really fascinating thing. I love Walt Disney. Grew up watching all the programs and all that. And fascinating story of Walt Disney. Amazing guy. Walter Elias Disney. 
And you know, this guy, you walk into the, begin, the little rotunda of the museum, and there are six giant cases of all the awards that Walt Disney got from the very start of his career, I mean, from the Academy of Arts to all the film and the, the I mean, every conceivable, I mean, from nations around the world and film and photography and cartooning and animation and I mean it just I mean you see all those Oscars there's like 50 I don't know 60 of them in there it's crazy and you look at all that stuff and here's what the Lord is saying to me I'm looking at these giant seven or eight giant cabinets of all these awards and everything I'm going wow that's an amazing life I hope that when he stood before God there was something worthwhile there now I'm not diminishing because I'm thankful for Disney and I love Disney films okay can I just say that I'm thankful for that. I'm not diminishing the amazing contribution he brought to all of that in this world. But if it's all just this world, and I don't know where he stood spiritually. I'm not trying to even comment on that this morning. But I'm saying this, you can have, you can have placards full when you go into the grave with every award, trophy, and conceivable thing that could be given to you in this life. It will mean zero in the life to come if what we've done with our lives does not matter for the kingdom of God. Wow. That's an amazing thing. The promise of rewards, number three, if you're taking notes, the promise of rewards prompts faithful endurance when the going gets tough. Okay, it teaches us something about God, that He's gracious and generous. It incentivizes us toward godly and sacrificial service for a quality of work that matters. Number three, it prompts faithful endurance. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, and I know we're kind of bumping around in a lot of scriptures this morning. But there's no one place I felt like we could just camp out and see the panorama of rewards. So let me just share with you 1 Corinthians 15, 19. It's on the screen. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I hear sometimes people say, well, if it was only in this life, then it was worth it. I mean, if there's nothing after death, if we just kind of roll the die. What? Paul says that's ridiculous. We live for that day. And that day reminds us to get through this day when this day is terrible. Remember in Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I think about Chinese church pastors, underground church pastors who have been beaten, who have been starved, for their faith in Jesus. There's a guy right now in the Middle East that lots of people are praying for, a pastor who got pulled out because he was preaching and bringing, you know, Muslims to faith in Christ. And I mean, it's, there are people going through crazy things for their walk with Christ. We have such a cushy experience, but even that, there are disappointments and downturns and things that bother us and issues that dis, di, you know, rob us sometimes or we think they rob us of our, of our joy when in fact we should be rejoicing because Jesus said, when you suffer for me or even in suffering in this life and you maintain your focus on me, Jesus says, there's a reward for that. I love what Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 11, listen to this about Moses. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated among the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. 
He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. Hebrews 6, 10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. In chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. So do, do not throw away your confidence, the writer of Hebrews says. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. And there's a place in, in the Gospels where Jesus talks about, remember Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? And Jesus said, wow, you have no idea, Peter. Let me give you a percentage, 100% return on investment. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to be doing a series called Follow Me, Following Jesus series. It's going to be a beautiful series, and that's a text that I'm going to be camping out in, so I don't want to, I don't want to steal the thunder of that text right now. But I'm telling you, when Jesus says to Peter, look, you think you've left everything? You have no idea of all that you have inherited because of following me. Beautiful reminder. The promise of reward should remind us that God is gracious and generous. It should incentivize honest and sacrificial service. It should prompt endurance when the going gets tough. Here's a fourth thing. The promise of rewards offers a picture of what matters to God. It's a picture of what matters to God. Now, here we're going to just take a quick walk through. We don't have time to go too deep in this, but we can cover it a little bit. We're going to look at crowns. Did you know in the New Testament there are five crowns mentioned? I've never really, you know, been in a crown. It's hard for me to think about, you know, wearing a crown. Um, but the Bible talks about crowns, and I think the picture of crowns is a picture, obviously, of rewards. I don't think that the rewards in total can be folded into the meaning, uh, or excuse me, I don't think that crowns are sort of the, the, the total picture of reward because there's lots of places where reward is mentioned that the mention of crowns is not mentioned, but there are five New Testament references to the fact that God is going to reward his believing, his, his children with, with crowns. And the word Stephanos is the word for crown. It's the victor's crown, not diadema, which is the ruler's crown or the kingly crown. Only Jesus wears that crown. But there's going to be crowns given, the Bible says, that will be crowns of reward. So let's just walk down through them really quickly. First, in 1 Corinthians 9, there's the incorruptible crown, the incorruptible crown. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9 where he says, run in such a way as you get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games does go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. They got a little a wreath crown. But we get a crown, Paul says, that will last forever. This is the incorruptible crown. Now, not long ago, I think right at the start of the year, uh, or just before the start of the year, Pastor Danny preached an amazing sermon. You might have remembered it. It was, I, I'm in it to win it, right? Remember that sermon? A great sermon. And in that sermon, Danny talked about a life dedicated to run the race for him, not in such a way just to finish, but to win. And that's what the crown, the incorruptible crown is for. for the people that were just not, they were in it to win it. Thank you, Pastor Danny. They, they had a mindset of, I don't want to just skate into heaven. I, I want to I go thunderously with, with passion, like the choir was singing this morning. What is my passion? What is the call? I want to follow Jesus with true passion. And this is what God rewards. Here's what he rewards. If you're taking notes, he rewards dedication to him. He rewards dedication. I think that's the incorruptible crown. 
And secondly, in 1 Thessalonians 2, there's a crown of rejoicing, a crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2, where Paul says, for what is our hope, our joy, or our crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul talks about the people being their crown, the people that he was trying to reach, the people that he was trying to serve. Some call this the soul winner's crown. Here's what God values if you're taking notes. God values the gospel and its proclamation. God values people hearing the gospel and the, and the proclamation of the gospel. Pay attention. Listen. God wants his gospel to go out. And he rewards those who have a passion to get the gospel out. Isn't that good? So some of us are like, well, you know, we'll let the evangelists do it. That's the church's responsibility. No, no, no. There are people like, I know a lot of you, that hit the ground Monday morning thinking, who can I talk to about Jesus today? And there's a crown, there's a reward for those that love the gospel because God values the gospel and its proclamation. Thirdly, there's the crown of righteousness mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. The crown of righteousness. Paul says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. There are some of us that live in the constant awareness and the hope of Christ's return. Our lives are submitted to holiness, knowing that the Lord could return at any moment. They see only two days on their calendar. They see this day and that day. God values, watch this, God values watching for and living in light of his son's return. There's a reward there. Now just think about where these values come up in our lives. I mean, you could just be checking the box right now in your heart. Is this true of me? This is part of God's rewards. Fourthly, there's the crown of of life, James 1.12, the crown of life. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James, the brother of our Lord, viewed this crown as a reward for those who bear up under trial, standing the test. No one suffered like Jesus suffered. And when we follow in his example, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual pain, We have died to ourselves and come alive to the love of Jesus. When that is on our lips, the crown of life is our reward. I've stood next to people in hospital beds, in their homes, dying of cancer, suffering, and just saying, I am just, I am closer to Jesus than I've ever been in my life, and I just want to give him praise. I've talked to people that have terminal cancer that say it was the greatest, best thing that ever happened in their lives because it just welded them to Christ. I've talked to pastors who have suffered, people who have done an undue, incredible things. Think of the martyrs of the faith. And here's what God values. God values persevering through suffering. He values people that hang in there, that don't give up, that don't say, you know, this is just too hard to be a Christian. God has a crown of life awaiting for those that persevere through trial. And then finally, there's the crown of glory. And this is mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. The crown of glory. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And this is a, a great reminder to us. Some think that this is only for Christian leaders, pastors, or elders. And perhaps it does say that pastors and elders who serve this way will be rewarded. But it doesn't necessarily exclude others who serve in the same manner. People that serve in such a way that is honest, 
that is diligent, that is humble, that is Christ-like when you serve in this way, perhaps this is linked to the crown of glory. And here's what God values. God values honorable service. And so do we, by the way, at Neighborhood Church. We value honorable service. We take a whole month or we at least will take a segment of every year just to say, praise God for you. Praise God for you. Praise God for your contribution. Thank God for all the things that you do because it's your passion to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the promise of rewards teach us? It reminds us of of the fact that God is gracious and generous. It is incentive to an honest and sacrificial service. It It prompts endurance when the going gets tough. It's a picture of what matters to God. And lastly and finally, the promise of rewards serves as a means of warning against laziness and hypocrisy. Remember in that passage of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, he says, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. That's not salvation. He's saying, I don't want to miss the reward that God has for me. I don't want to miss that. The Apostle John alluded to this in two sections of his letters. In 1 John 2.28, he says, Now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Confident and unashamed. Let me just tell what, what if you knew, and we can't know this, and don't believe anyone that would tell you something like this, but what if, what if we knew that Jesus was coming back in 15 minutes from now? How many of us would feel ashamed right now? Don't raise your hand. Just like, oh no! What did I do with my life? Now here's the beautiful thing. Jesus could be coming back in 15 minutes from now. Or less. Or he might give us grace for another day. Or two. Or year. Whatever he gives us. So here's the point. This is the first day of starting a new life, if you feel right now in your heart, I'd be ashamed if Jesus came back. The way I've lived my life, the way I've squandered his blessings, the way I've not given, but I've taken all my life. I'm starting a new life. Start it today. If you're a Christ follower, live your life for what matters. Live your life on purpose so that you don't have to deal with 2 John 8 where it says, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. I'm sure there are a lot of people that leave this life losing what they've worked for because they just lost their vision and their passion for Christ. Christians, there are dead people walking. There are Christians who go through the motions. And frankly, there are some people that think they're Christians because they had some spiritual experience, but they've never really submitted their lives to the Lordship of Christ, and so that day doesn't have any impact on this day, and they just kind of go through motions, and you just kind of walk into church and walk out of church, and there are people all over our country today, people celebrating St. Patrick's Day by getting blitzed today. Oh yeah, that's really strong Christian values there. Yeah, let's celebrate the guy that brought Christianity to Ireland by getting smashed. And we can, we can even, some of us religious folks that observe Lenten, we can actually go out of our Lenten practices so that we can get drunk today. That's terrible. I mean, that is not any picture of what the gospel is about. 
The gospel is about surrender to Christ. It's about giving our lives to what matters. It's about following Jesus and, yes, sometimes in pain and suffering. So, with all this as an incentive, I'm asking the question, who wouldn't want to serve Christ? I mean, who would want to live their lives for themselves when the Bible says so much about being rewarded for living for Him? So next week is the last, it's kind of the, it's the wrap-up week. Next week, we're going to talk about the warning of service. You're going to hear things you've never heard in this, this whole series about serve, 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 serve. Next week, I'm going to say, oh, wait a minute, there's something more important than service. That's next week. Today is my last appeal to say, get in the game. In your bulletin this morning, there's a little first serve card. And uh, if you're serious about it, if you've never served, you've never volunteered any of your time, or currently right now, there's nothing going on in your life serving Christ, we're just giving you a little help to get started. And just, it's, I hope it doesn't feel like a shameless plug, it's just reality. So I want to give you the, the chance to commit right now to say, I can do once a month, I can start with something and start. So, that's it. That's the appeal. Between now and when you get to your car today, you need to take that little card, give contact information, check one of the boxes on the back. If you haven't studied like you were told last week, shame on you if you didn't. If you didn't study what those ministry opportunities were, then you know what? Just ask the Holy Spirit to put a little pulse in your heart for something you see on that list. And just see what happens. Give it a try. Okay? Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, um, forget about that little sheet. You need to open your life and confess as a sinner you need a Savior and you need to bow your knee before Him and confess that He's Lord. And you need to get on board with letting Him be Lord of your life. And that happens by faith. So let's go to the Lord right now and just ask Him to give us grace. Lord Jesus, thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You for the promise of rewards. Some of us maybe wrestled through this today. I know I did when I studied it, Lord, but it's kind of fired me up to realize that there's a day coming when everything we did in this life really will be looked at carefully and examined, and I'll give an account, Lord, and each one of us will. So, Lord, let that be a blessing in our lives. Let it incentivize us. Let us be joyful about it. And thank you, dear Lord, that your grace abounds and you're ready to take us right where we are today, and you don't move us, you don't shake us around, you don't wag your finger at us. You just love on us and invite us in. So, Lord, help us with that. Help every one of us right now. And, Lord, if you brought someone right now that needs a relationship with you, I pray right here, right now, they would say yes to you. And it doesn't take anything more than the Holy Spirit, your Spirit saying to them that they need forgiveness of sins and they need a new life. And thank you, Lord, that it's as simple as trusting and following you. So give people the courage to make that commitment this morning if that's where they are. I'm just going to give you a couple seconds there. You can, as a response time, you can fill out. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.